When was the last time you entered a meeting room and felt like a punch in your stomach? When was the last time you had a difficult conversation with a boss or colleague or even felt manipulated by them? What are the chances that you are dealing with difficult or even toxic colleagues? What are the red flags that we should pay attention to when entering a meeting room? Join us after the intro for a conversation with a special guest who will help us answering these and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D, and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. When was the last time you entered a room and felt like a punch in your stomach? When was the last time you had a difficult conversation with your boss or a colleague, or even felt manipulated by them? Dealing with difficult and toxic people is never easy. It can affect our life at work, at home, and in terms of our own health. So when we find ourselves in such a situation, ideally, we would love to get rid of the toxicity that they bring in our life. And I say ideally because this might not always be an option, for example, if our job is at stake. So today we want to really understand how we can read a room and identify toxic people. And we do that in a conversation with Lynn Catalano, who is joining us from Buffalo in the New York State. Lynn is a speaker, author, coach, entrepreneur, and a licensed attorney in the New York State. Instead of pursuing a legal career, she decided to pursue other opportunities. And when the chance to build a new hospital foundation emerged, her fundraising career also started. After about two decades contributing to building different foundations, Lynn decided to pivot again. And today she's a speaker and shares her experiences to group of all sizes, particularly how to help people identifying toxic relationships and rising above the cows. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the Forgive and Try show. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. It's our pleasure. So I mentioned just a couple of things about you, but uh, I would like to really hear from, from your own voice. So something about yourself in particular, how, you, how was your journey to come to talking about toxic people, toxic relationships, uh, particularly uh, in a work environment? Um, yeah, it's an interesting path. You know, it's not necessarily something that we set out uh, to learn about or <laughs> to, 
desire to experience. Uh, for me, you know, I was at a um, particular job leading a uh, foundation, a nonprofit, for a very long time. It was uh, it was about sixteen years, and I was really looking for a new challenge. And so I went to a, a very large community foundation um, where I learned an awful lot about toxic bosses, toxic leadership, uh, toxic organization. And it was, it was so bad that I, I felt like it was not for me. Um, I went to uh, another nonprofit where I experienced one of the most toxic CEOs. And it felt like the universe was trying to tell me something. Like it, and the more I learned, the more I read about, um, I was able to take my experiences and share them with other people. And what I'm overwhelmed with how many people experience this fairly regularly. It seems like toxic relationships are a silent epidemic these days but perhaps they've always been there and we just haven't been aware or educated as to what they are and why, how to cope and why we stay and, and perhaps why we should leave. So that's been my journey. Um, I feel like I've taken um, the proverbial lemons and made lemonade. That sounds like a, a good plan to you know, <laughs> a, a start perhaps changing things uh, because as you said it's a it's a silence epidemic and uh, a lot of people are affected by that and perhaps they don't recognize that they are in, in an environment that is uh, toxic for them they get frustrated and uh, they cannot perhaps really understand whether it's work whether it's uh, personal life because there are also uh, ripple effects right um, that we bring in other uh, in other um, areas uh, of our uh, life so what would be, for example, the red flags that we really have to pay attention to? You know, it's interesting when you talk about people not being aware, you know, I think that for the most part, we all conscientiously go to work. We, we want to do our job to the best of our ability. And when we're met with these obstacles along the way, it's both shocking and surprising. And we, we try our best to mitigate the, the obstacles and just keep going, you know, just keep swimming. But as it gets more and more difficult and we talk to one another and share these experiences, then we become more aware of what's happened. So um, I think, you know, for me, I broke it down into 10 characteristics or behaviors of toxic people at work. And I, I now say toxic people because I feel that it could be your manager, your supervisor, um, the CEO, but it could also just be a coworker or a colleague. And um, how do you recognize these, these things? So um, I have 10. So I know it's a lot, but um, you know, for me, I was lucky enough to work for someone who met all 10 characteristics, but perhaps you've known people who have a few um, of these uh, toxic behaviors. So one, um, they don't take responsibility 
for their actions or their poor decisions. You know, they're the first people that will smile for the TV cameras when things are going right, but um, they're known for throwing people under the bus uh, when things go wrong. So perhaps even, and I say this tongue in cheek, driving the bus as they throw people under it. But <laughs> um, Number two, they avoid conflict at all costs. They really do not like to uh, talk about anything that went wrong. They, they love consensus and they hate disagreements. They don't like to have uncomfortable conversations. And um, that's something else that, that I love to talk about because I believe that good things come from uncomfortable conversations. But these types of toxic people never want to leave the shallow end. You know, they like to stay very on the, on the surface. Number three, they micromanage everyone. They will literally ask you to do something. They'll remind you before you leave their office. Then they'll email you to see if you've done the task. Then they contact the person that they asked you to contact about it, rinse and repeat. It must be exhausting for these people to have to keep track of everyone's job. I can't even imagine that they sleep because they're always thinking about what you should be doing and what that person should be doing, et cetera. Or they don't communicate well, sometimes at all. They, um, they'll tell you, you know, what to do one day and then the next day they'll change their mind. Um, they, they'll, they'll want you to do it a different way the next day. They, they, um, they have a lot of problems communicating. Five, they assume that everyone is on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what your pay or level of responsibility. Um, this is really just a basic disrespect for any kind of personal time. Six, they have no boundaries. They email and text at, and call perhaps at all hours, evenings and weekends, and they get angry when there's no response. Um, again, this is really a, a, a disrespect for your personal time, but it's also about the fact that their ideas are so important that they need validation immediately. They need to tell everyone what they're thinking, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, and they don't understand why you're not responding. Um, but again, it's, it's just a basic disrespect. Um, seven, they don't plan, they just react. So this, this was a huge red flag for me that the organization had no strategic plan. There was no, you know, um, a lot of organizations at the, towards the end of a year or in the fall will plan for the following year strategically, whether it's about uh, sales and revenue or it's about expenses. Everyone does this, right? They budget and, and in the budget, there is a plan of what they're going to do. This organization I worked for, there was no plan. They were always responding to things that were happening. 
What this did was it caused us to pivot every time something went wrong. And it felt like a nightmarish version of the hokey pokey at some point, you know, <laughs> because it was like, um, oh, we're all going to focus on this and we're all going to go this way. And uh, when that went wrong, then the leader would throw whomever under, uh, was responsible uh, or they were responsible. Don't get me wrong, but they would throw somebody under the bus for that poor decision. And they would say, we that was ridiculous. We shouldn't have done that. And they'll pivot all the way to the other side. Now, now we're all going in this direction, but it's, it's hard to, um, to, to have respect for that kind of leadership when there's no, seems to be no thought behind it, you know? Um, eight, they focus on short-term optics without ever addressing the root cause of the problem. So this one particular organization I was with, they they like to you know put a fresh coat of paint on a on a room and and put it on display, or they um, they showed off you know this one employee that they that they loved, but never the whole force, um, or they they like to give buy donuts for all the employees, but you know that never improved morale because they never talked about the actual issues and problems that the employees were facing. And so that didn't, that didn't do anything. It was all about short-term optics. Nine, this is one of my favorites, they completely ignore turnovers. I think that in any organization and any human resources person will tell you that turnovers are a key indicator of the quality of the organization. You know, it's all about employee retention. Certainly, if your employees are um, learning and being promoted within, it says a lot about your organization if you have long-term employees. This particular organization I was with had almost 25% turnover in one year. This is a huge, it's more than a red flag. It's like a giant strobe light. Um, the CEO never wanted to discuss the turnovers because that might shine a light on their toxic behavior. So um, they don't pay any attention to that at all. And 10, they offer criticism and they are very harsh usually with their criticism, but there's never any positive coaching. There's, first of all, there's never any positive reinforcement, but there's never any um, coaching to help you not make that mistake next time. You know, a good leader wants you to improve because as you improve, you make them look better. But a toxic leader just wants to replace you if you, if you don't do what, what they want, even though they don't communicate what they want. So it's a vicious circle, um, and that's what makes it so horrible to have to deal with these people. So that's my, my basic 10. I absolutely love this, uh, uh, this list because it gives really uh, an understanding of all the little uh, issues that we can uh, uh, face in an organization. Particularly, I like the last uh, two points comes to empowering uh, the people that you have uh, in your organization, making sure that their ambitions are heard 
and that they are given an opportunity. And uh, there is, a, I think, uh, um, I heard some, somewhere that for a good organization, prepare or develop your, your people to work anywhere so they can live and, and do a great job anywhere, but treat them in a way that they don't want to live. So they want to stick with your organization. So uh, it's uh, really uh, looking at those two aspects, um, yeah. going with the development, but at the same time making sure that they are happy where they are so they don't leave. So going from that uh, a little bit forward, because sometimes uh, you know, it might be just the CEO or uh, one manager or one colleague that is, uh, has these toxic uh, behaviors. Other times we might be a little bit more unlucky and have a number of people that have altogether uh, a toxic behavior altogether. So that uh, starts changing the environment. So can we talk about that, the toxic, going from a toxic person to a toxic environment and how yeah. that affect the life of everyone else? So, you know, I think that in a toxic work environment, there are a number of things happening, but you know, it, it comes from top down. So if leadership is toxic, it's contagious, just like high emotional intelligence and mutual respect and exhibiting empathy are contagious, so is toxicity, right? So are these toxic behaviors. You know, leaders lead by example. So if they show employees that other employees are replaceable and have no value and that um, bad behavior is acceptable, then it trickles down. Everyone behaves that way. Now, you can turn an organization like that around, but it has to come from leadership. Leadership needs to want that. So whether that's a board of directors or that's, that's a, a leadership team or a CEO that says, we need to change this. Like we have, we have bad corporate culture. We have a toxic culture here. If they want that, they can change it. And there are a number of ways you can do it. Um, you know, a, a one certainly that I'm a proponent of is bringing someone like me into the organization. Basically, you do an assessment of, of the employees. And, um, you know, once it's, it's probably pretty easy to figure out where the toxicity is coming from. And then, you know, it depends on how the company feels. If the company feels like they want to turn it around, then you do an intervention with these people. And, you know, interventions have been known for uh, working with people who had um, substance abuse problems, but they're really important with these types of people is to show them the mirror, you know, and kind of um, have people tell them, look, when you do this, it makes me feel this. And when you say this, then I feel this, you know, and, and sometimes like learning those things will affect them. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to change them. Normally, change comes when their job is on the line. Like what if leadership says, look, you got to, we're going to invest in you. We think you're valuable. We want you to, to, to be more positive, to be less toxic here's how we're going to work with you. We're going to get a, a coach for you. 
And, you know, we're going to do this intervention. And if the person, person probably will want to change knowing that their job is on the line, you know, knowing that they have to, that's okay. Because that, again, it's contagious, right? So that doing positive things in the organization, like team building exercises and things, it's not going to work if it's, it's a toxic culture. But it does, it, it's like baby steps and it's all about representation. You know, when you show someone this is, this is how you lead and this is how you manage employees and this is how you speak to one another with respect and this is how you resolve conflicts and this is how, how you improve yourself to be promoted from within. Like if you show employees all those things, Number one, that's showing that the organization wants to invest in you. And number two, that's showing people positive behaviors that they can model. Because again, if you show them only toxic behaviors, that's what they're going to model. I do believe that there's hope for toxic cultures. I do believe that when you are in it and you are a victim of that toxicity, it affects you. And it affects you in more ways than you realize. Uh, I, I'm a big proponent of figuring out ways to protect your mental health. And there's a number of things you can do. But um, first of all, I would advise always to channel your um, anger <laughs> and resentment into something. So whether that's exercise or meditation or prayer or whatever works for you. I really think you need to, uh, you, you can't keep it inside. I also think you need to talk to people and whether that's coworkers whom you can figure out kind of taking the temperature of other people and seeing if they're affected in similar ways and learning that you're not alone, which is really important. But then also having your own support network, you know, whether it's your, it's your friends, it's your um, partner, it's your parent or your child, whomever it is that's your person um, or people, make sure that you talk to them. You know, toxic people like to isolate their victims from other people because they don't want people to know about their toxic behaviors. That's a real problem because then we feel very much alone in this horrible situation. So um, I'm really, really emphatic when I tell you to, to find your support network. I often call them a, a beacon or a lighthouse um, for you in that, in that time. Um, also protect yourself legally, you know, like I do think you should keep notes. I think they should be contemporaneous notes. So it's important, you know, I, I put my attorney hat on and I, I think about, um, you know, writing a note on the day something happens is very important. Saving emails, voicemails, they're time stamped, um, makes them a, a natural for uh, keeping track of, of a record of what occurred. Um, at some point, you may want to contact human resources. I think that's always your, your first stop. But if ever there's bullying or harassment at your place of work, 
this is completely unacceptable and it's non-negotiable. You cannot accept that. You need to leave and find an employment attorney, but I'm going to tell you, they're going to ask you for all those contemporaneous notes. So make sure that you're keeping track of what happens. Well, Liv, uh, you have uh, covered so much. Uh, I have so many questions that I should <laughs> touch a little uh, on this. So uh, if I understand correctly, you start talking about uh, bringing, for example, a, a person like you, a professional like you, like a coach. Um, and that was, in, in fact, one of the questions that uh, I was thinking about. Uh, because when someone goes through a difficult patch, um, you know, difficult time, uh, we normally undergo uh, a sort of uh, personal development journey. And in fact, my question was, is there something similar for an organization where, uh, you know, you can, as you said, you can bring someone to, to support uh, different people, especially in uh, uh, management and leadership. So I think you answered uh, that question already. Uh, you mentioned about communication. And I would like, uh, if you don't mind, go back uh, a little on that, because I think sure. communication in any kind of relationship is uh, absolutely key. W what is the, the kind of good communication that we should expect for, from, for example, our leadership? I want to answer your question in two parts, because one, what is the, the model, right? What is the ideal for communication from leadership to employees, but then what does it look like when that leadership is toxic? So what do we want? We want transparency. We want to know what's happening. We want to know who makes the decisions. We want to be involved, right? We want to make the mission statement or the, um, you know, the core values together. We want to know that as employees, we're seen and heard, right? That's all we want is, is basic dignity, common decency. When, an, when, a, when a leader leads with emotional intelligence, they exhibit empathy. They get to know their employees as more than just, you know, you're the director of or the manager of or the whatever your title is. Why? Because they want to get to know them. They know that they're, they're more than that title and they want to invest in them and build a relationship. And I think as an employee, when you know that your leader wants to build a relationship with you, you develop a whole different attitude towards the organization because it feels personal. It feels like you have a vested interest in the success of the organization. And for that, everybody wants that. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> and I want, I want to know that the leader knows my name. Like not that just, oh, doesn't she work in that department over there? No, you need to know my name. You know, you need to know that, um, oh, hey, don't you have a dog or what's going on? Didn't you buy a new car or something, right? Something to tell me that you heard me or you saw me. So I think that that level of communication 
is, is the epitome, right? That's what we all strive for. That's what we all want. But what's it look like when the person is toxic? So, you know, the CEO could walk through an organization and actually hold their phone instead of making eye contact with people because they just don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to know your name because you're replaceable. Who cares, right? Also, remember, they don't communicate well or sometimes at all. They don't like to be challenged. They don't want to hear your objections to their decisions because it's sort of, it, you know, they're omnipotent, right? They're, they're the ultimate power. They're it. Don't challenge them. So does that answer your question? Uh, that definitely answer, answer the question. But continue on the communication. There are, uh, we always think about communication as talking, you know, speaking to other people. But there are other aspects, like, for example, listening. What is the role of listening, active listening? Or how, for example, the, the body language enters in, uh, uh, in a communication, a good communication uh, between uh, uh, managers and uh, leader and their employee? So I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of reflective listening, also known as active listening, right? So reflective listening to me is all about your emotional intelligence again, and your, it's about exhibiting empathy, and it is the key to building relationships. I actually do not think that you can build a relationship without practicing reflective listening. So, and I want you to know that the toxic bosses that I worked for never practiced reflective listening because... They never cared enough to ask open-ended questions. So, you know, reflective listening um, is, a, is a, a listening strategy that employs two, two components, right? First, you listen to the concept as the speaker is telling it. And then two, you repeat back the concept to make sure that it's been understood correctly. You know, I think that listening is perhaps the most important skill that we can possess because it's not about you. It's about them, right? You're showing that you're paying attention. You're invested. You hear them. Again, it's about hearing and seeing, right? Um, you know, I have a, a great quote from a, a Greek philosopher, Epictetus, told us that, um, we have two ears and one mouth so that we may listen twice as much as we speak. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> the maths is there. <laughs> that is uh, uh, definitely uh, a good point. So when we find out that we are in this toxic relationship, let's go back now to the one person, uh, sort of one-on-one -on -one, uh, situation. Obviously that affects the individuals in many more uh, ways than just their job because then you can bring home everything and all the stress that that has, uh, has created. You mentioned uh, about uh, recording things, so contacted uh, the human resources. Can you express a little bit more on that? Can you touch a little bit more on that? Because I think it's, uh, it's very important. This is one mistake, for example, that I didn't. I, I never really thought of going legal or even though I 
appreciate that it is an option. But I always said, uh, thought it was like, I said, you said kind of situation. And I never really uh, look after uh, myself and, and my, my interests. So can you help us uh, with some points? Also, considering your pre previous <laughs> or your background yeah. as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, I think that when you discover that the behavior that you're witnessing and that you're subject to is not normal, you need to be aware. Like your antenna need to go up. You know what I'm saying? Um, and you need to protect yourself on every, on every level so that legally, I believe that both saving emails, voicemails, um, as well as writing down what happened, who was there, you know, day and time, um, who said what, and do it when it's fresh in your mind. You know, don't do it a week later. Do it when it's happening. Um, you know, and if someone said to you, you know, there's a lot of times I've witnessed a lot of terrible behavior where I witnessed a CEO gaslighting a um, marketing consultant into like completely changing the reality and the facts of what occurred. And she canceled her contract. I mean, that was a great example of someone who could walk away because they weren't an employee, although certainly employees can walk away. <laughs> but the idea that, um, that a CEO would just change what had transpired when everyone at the table knew what occurred and who gave the go-ahead and who said what to do, you know, and all of a sudden everything was different. And that's what happens in a toxic environment. So it's important to keep notes of what happened um, and know that you're, you're making sure that perhaps those people may be called upon at some time to, to talk about what occurred. Um, when you go to HR, so this is, a, this is a complicated situation because sometimes in a toxic organization, human resources is not effective. What I mean by that is that if the um, CEO of the organization has told human resources that they're not independent and that they are um, to follow the CEO's directions and that there is no no one above the CEO. So even if there's a board of directors, like in one case where I was, the board of directors was all of the CEO's friends and there were no term limits. So these people had been on the board of directors for 20 plus years. I mean, there was no point. These people were completely ineffective. They were just there to rubber stamp his, his poor decisions. And I just, I, I, had a hard time believing that people would go along with this. I, I didn't understand to what gain, like it was just because they liked him, but they could not see the, the forest for the trees. You know, they just, they just blindly followed along. So knowing that that's the situation, HR is not your, 
your um, desired destination. I think that at that point, unfortunately, um, then it becomes a situation where you need to consult an employment attorney. And, um, you know, then, then it's money out of your own pocket because you need to pay someone um, to retain their, their services and discuss, is this an issue? I think it's a really healthy uh, discussion, and I think it's a worthwhile investment. If you're in a toxic situation like that, you, you need to protect yourself. I, I totally agree, and uh, I would, in fact, also say, even when uh, the HR is not necessarily in that position of saying, you know, you, you are paid by this organization, so you do what I'm telling you to do. Even uh, if that is not the case, HR only has an understanding very often of what is reported to HR. So if there are lots of uh, situations where people are in a bullying or harassment environment, but these situations are not reported, HR might not be completely aware of it. Right. So this is another issue, I think, that goes towards the same solution because obviously uh, becomes ineffective. So fantastic advice for, for everybody, you know, to protect ourselves uh, first and foremost. Going back to the, the main topic of reading a room. So in a situation that perhaps it doesn't look that uh, toxic, Right. Uh, but we want to understand a little how the, uh, you know, we are in a meeting room and there are different people. We might not know everybody, for example, uh, or we might know the people, but we might not know their intention towards what is the meeting uh, topic. Right. Is there a way that we can uh, sort of identify different characters and uh, allow me to use this, this word to understand how we have to act in, in that situation? You know, part of what I love to talk about, I love to talk, period, but I do love to talk about specific things. <laughs> but I love to talk about the concept of reading the room because uh, so often people just don't pay attention to it. And I think that people who are able to read the room quickly are able to um achieve success faster, fit into any situation, acclimate, and build relationships and connections faster. I think it, it, it helps us. So, so what is it essentially, right? What is reading the room? It sounds like a weird concept. So what is it? Well, it's really about having high emotional intelligence, being able to pay attention to what's occurring, and figuring out who's listening, who's talking, who's interrupting, who's apologizing. It's about making these observations quickly and getting to know who's who and what's what, right? I know when I walk into a meeting room, first of all, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. Second of all, I think it's really important to connect with people when you're speaking. And when you're speaking in a room of strangers, I find that I immediately connect with one or two people. 
And I look to them because they're nodding and they're making eye contact with me, right? But then you're kind of trying to win over the other people as well in the room, the, the people on their phone, and that one's always so hard, and the people who are just there and they're, they're irritated that they have to be there, so they're just not going to pay attention to you. It's like teaching um, college students who don't want to be there. So <laughs> um, those are, that's difficult, right? I do have four tips for you to be able to read the room perhaps a little faster, um, perhaps to be aware of these things. Um, the first one certainly is to, to find a guide. And I'm right here, but since I can't be with you in all uh, situations, I suggest that you find someone that you know that seems to acclimate well in social situations and follow their cues. Pay attention to what they do that allows them to make conversation easily and follow it. Two, I go back to... <laughs> yes. Two, I go back to Epictetus, right? Two ears, one mouth, listen more than we speak. You will learn so much from just listening. Sometimes I find myself quiet in these situations, but I'm really just listening to everybody else because then from there you're you're practicing awareness and you're exhibiting empathy whether you realize it or not you you can't help it when you're when you're listening right three um you know in the united states um we had this um miss manners she was this this utmost expert on etiquette in printed media for years i'm sure there's someone like this in every country but you know why is it important it's really important to follow the etiquette of the situation so whether you go to someone's home and everyone takes off their shoes right <laughs> like Everyone's going to look at you kind of strange if you don't follow the etiquette. So you need to be aware of, of your situation. And guess what? Everyone is more comfortable when we're all following the same rule. So it's an important one. And then four, it's all about um, what's not being said. So you need to pay attention to context and read between the lines because people don't always say what they're thinking. So again, you're, you're using all your senses, right? But you're able to know that certain things are happening and I'm going to, to follow this and I'm going to fit in faster. I'm going to acclimate to the situation. I'm going to build connections and relationships. I'm going to achieve success. It's all about, if we all practice it, it's like a collective harmony would happen, right? If we all practice it. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, there is this uh, idea of uh, connecting uh, with others that I really, really like. Um, and if you find a room where uh, full of people that are willing to connect, obviously the situation uh, becomes uh, much easier. Uh, if not, what could we do? You know, can we, you know, do anything or uh, say anything to change a little 
their attitude perhaps and uh, towards, you know, being more open. So for me, I try and find commonality because we can all find commonality if we try. We are all sisters, daughters, friends, spouses, um, perhaps we're parents. Um, we are uh, people of certain interests. We love dogs and cats and all kinds of things. And so um, often if I'm trying to break the ice and build some kind of relationship with a difficult person, um, I'm going to look for that commonality. For me, I must tell you, a lot of times it lies in pop culture because we don't have any of those titles, right? We don't have to worry about any of those titles because sometimes people don't want to talk about that stuff. So there's got to be a TV show, a movie, something that we can find some kind of commonality that we both like. And I love, in my speeches, I love to reference pop culture. Um, I love to bring in, I, I think nothing uh, exemplifies your concept better than when you can show it in a television show movie and people can say, oh, well, I saw that. I love that. And I, never, I didn't even know that. Because all of a sudden, your concept, which is way up here in this weird concept, you know, complicated language, is really relatable. And all of a sudden, now the person that's staring at their phone might say, oh, well, I watched that. I saw that. Now you, get, now you have a frame of reference. Now you have a place to go, right? And now every time you see that person, you can say, did you see the latest? Did you know there's another season? Did you, <laughs> you know, like, whatever. Um, what happened to that character? <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think that that's the place, that's the place where we can, and you know what? I don't like, to, like, I think pop culture is really important because I do, I think it is about representation. I think it's about representation in, in, in race and in sexuality and gender. In, in um, I mean, look back at the shows and see how a woman's role has changed throughout pop culture. I mean, it's incredible. And it's about representation now about mental illness. Like we are destigmatizing people who have mental illness by showing it. And it's so relatable. I, I embrace it, you know? So I think that through that, we can build new relationships. This is, uh, this is fantastic because <laughs> if we can start bringing about, uh, you know, our uh, own life, the everyday life and uh, whatever we enjoy and we like outside our job in the work uh, environment, then uh, obviously the relationships that we can build uh, are completely different. Uh, so I, I totally agree on, on this. Um, but there is something going on now, especially with the pandemic. Um, a lot of people are considering uh, pivoting or changing uh, jobs. 
I, I think the pandemic has opened uh, the eyes of many, uh, many people on uh, the possibility, for example, from working of working from home, uh, not going back to uh, an office or not dealing with difficult people anymore. You know, you are in, in your own uh, space, safe. Um, so what, what is your view about it? Um, do we really need to resign and uh, pivot to something completely different? Uh, or perhaps we can do something even when the, the behavior of, of some colleagues is not really great, even when the environment is not really great. Um, you know, I, I personally think that is our responsibility at the end of the day, even when we are not the CEO or, or the, the manager or the leader, uh, we still have some level of responsibility in, in the culture that um, we create in the organization, but also in, in the culture that we, we want to accept for our organization. Uh, what is your thought about this? You know, I think that one of the best side effects of the pandemic has been the reevaluation of our own lives. We were able to spend some time taking a look at ourselves, a little bit of self-reflection, and all of a sudden we looked and we thought, you know, if I spend 40 hours a week or more working for an organization, and it depends how the organization reacted to the whole thing, you know? Does this organization value me? Why am I spending so much time being miserable? Because, you know, I believe time is the most valuable currency. So where are you going to spend it? You know, all of a sudden you start thinking about what would happen if I wasn't at that organization? And if the answer is that, eh, they'd just replace me. Well, maybe I could do something else. And so there is a great part of me that supports the great resignation because I see it as a collective response to these bad corporate behaviors. And perhaps we're saying, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. They're unacceptable. We know now, you know, the pandemic sh shined a light on that. And that's okay. I think that if anything, it should make everybody question what they're doing, the organization included, because it's a great opportunity for the organization to pivot and say, you know what, we need to, we need to dig deeper. We need to be more uh, supportive as an organization. You know, I just spoke to someone, uh, I had coffee with them last week, and they've been at their organization for 20 plus years. And the someone else was just retiring at 30 some years. And, and I thought, what kind of organization is this where people stay for so long? They must be incredible at developing that positive culture that we so desire. So there are companies out there that are doing it right.
But the pandemic should have taught these other companies that they got to get their act together. So I, I, I think the Great Resignation was, was a, is a wonderful movement because it's got to open your eyes. Something has to open your eyes, right? You know? I don't think we can go back to, to what it was before, before the pandemic. No. We have learned that there is another way. Uh, right. If things don't, don't change, uh, then we have an idea what is also out there, what we can also have uh, out there. So that, that's, that's fantastic. So yeah. thank you very much. You mentioned going inside, going, doing this inner reflection. And I want to go uh, a moment there because, you know, this podcast is called Forgiven Tribe. And forgiveness uh, for, for me is uh, uh, the first step uh, towards striving. And it's forgiveness of others, but very often forgiveness uh, of uh, ourselves. Um, what do you think about the concept of forgiveness as letting go? of everything that is negative and doesn't serve us? And is there any room when uh, dealing with toxic people? You know, this is a, a, a very loaded question for me, but one that I embrace. I went through my own journey with uh, discovering that my father was a narcissist. He was a toxic person. And... It was a, it's been a very painful, painful journey. And throughout, I had to come to terms and make space for his illness and for the fact that I needed to let it go. I needed to forgive. But what I learned was that forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's for you. And it's actually a form of self-care. It helps our mental health because letting go and forgiving allows us to heal. And so I think it's so powerful. And I, I, I really have really dived into that. <laughs> I really have full on. Um, you know, I've written a book. Um, it's coming out very soon. And uh, I interviewed a lot of people who had relationships with toxic people, with narcissists. And forgiveness is a very interesting topic to discuss. And uh, I had to get there. And I did. So I, I, I completely agree with you that uh, in order for you to move on, you do need to let it go. And it's difficult because when something is so hurtful to you and has been hurtful for a long period of time, it is difficult. But once you do it, it's freedom. It's liberation. It's fantastic. I, I really love what you're saying because uh, I, I've come through a, a completely different journey, but brought me exactly in the same place where you are uh, as well. So I had to discover what forgiveness was all about. And uh, I, I had a completely uh, wrong idea. But when I understood what forgiveness was, I said, okay, this is something that I, I need to talk about more often. So I really appreciate that you went and, uh, to dig in, uh, into your personal life, uh, really, to, 
to answer this, uh, this question. So I'm a little bit aware of the time and I would like to come back on you and uh, what, what, to know a little bit uh, what you are doing right now, what is in the pipeline for you for 2022, uh, anything you want to share with us? My book, my book is coming out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my book is coming out. Yes, I've been working on it. I feel like it's, um, you know, it's been something that has been percolating with me for the last 11 years. So um, going on 12. So I'm really excited about this. Um, what I have, have done Um, first of all, the book is called Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. And what I've done is I've woven my story, my experiences with many others, uh, with the stories of many others that I interviewed. And, um, you know, I talk about who the narcissist is in your life, whether it's a parent, uh, a romantic partner. Uh, a, a sibling, um, a, um, a toxic boss. I do talk about that. And um, I really explore all of their behaviors and uh, concepts about narcissism. And then I intersperse pop culture throughout. So look for a um, little bit of dark humor, but a lot of uh, really Uh, fun passages about uh, illustrating these, these difficult concepts. And um, it's led me to be part of a, uh, the board of directors of a not-for-profit that I'm very proud of. It's called the Center for Hope of Western New York, and it's, it deals with victims of narcissistic abuse. I had no idea. Again, I felt completely alone. I didn't know there were people like me out there. And now I'm on social media and there are literally millions of people out there suffering from some kind of emotional abuse from toxic people. So I hope that my book serves as a guide. I hope that um, I can help someone who was going through what I did and who can learn from this and uh, learn how to cope or leave. Fantastic. So we will be checking this, uh, this book. And if someone wants to know a little bit more about you, where they can find you? Please, <laughs> Please come to my website, www.lincatalano.com, C-A-T-A-L-A-N-O. And I'm at Lynn Catalano Speaks on both uh, Instagram and TikTok. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Lynn Catalano Esquire. Fantastic. Uh, remember, we will put all the links in the description of today's episode. Lynn, one final uh, question. If there was one take-home message that you would love all the listeners to take home from today's conversation, what that would be? You, you are not alone and you are far more important. Your health, your mental health, your family, your friends, your relationships are far more important than this toxic person, this toxic problem, this toxic issue. 
Don't spend one more minute with that problem. Fantastic. Well, I hope that this episode has provided for thoughts on how we can protect ourselves from toxic people, especially at work. And I want to leave you with two quotes today. The first is from Dr. Steve Maraboli, who said, poisonous relationships can alter our perception. You can spend many years thinking you are worthless, but you are not worthless. You are underappreciated. And then an invitation from Roy Bennett, who said, surround yourself with positive people who believe in your dreams, encourage your ideas, support your ambitions, and bring out the best in you. Lynn, thank you very much for accepting our invitation and for sharing so much with us personally and professionally. Thank you, Rosanna. Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. Well, we would love to know what you think about this topic. Are there specific struggles that perhaps you are facing and we didn't address today? If so, get in touch and let us know. Also, don't forget to visit Lynn's page, to follow her on social media, and to check on uh, her new book uh, that is coming out. And finally, if you have been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, please, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive.com at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.